I'm Shannon. And I am Rami. And this is Workplace Hugs, where we talk about interesting things we've read or heard to help us all expand our life toolkit with a whole bunch of empathy without a whole new degree. Shannon, you read a book. We're going to talk about it. I'm excited. I know nothing. Let's go. Yeah. Okay. So Talia, my daughter, and I were at the library one day. And maybe once a year, I give myself permission to just pick up a random book that I find in the stacks. And that was this book. (laughs) So this book was called The Last Stranger in the Woods. And it's a book about, like, well, like, quite literally, the last true hermit. Christopher Thomas Knight was his name. And in 1986, at the age of 20, he up and left his, quote, like, regular life and created a camp in the woods of Maine. And he lived there for 27 years before being jailed for minor burglaries. How do we know his story? We know his story because after he was jailed for minor burglaries, I think this, I don't even remember the author's name. Hmm, I should have like thought about that before we recorded this episode. But the author, who is also like a a journalist or something, heard the story and was like, oh my God, I want to write this guy's biography because this story just seems... Like, it's so bizarre, and you just don't hear about this in today's day and age anymore, about people choosing to, like, take take themselves out of the world and go live in the woods in a climate like Maine, especially where there's, like, brutal winters forever and ever. So, I think it was intriguing to me to pick up because we were living through a global pandemic at the time, and I think this idea of, like, being a hermit and being alone was just a little bit fascinating for me. How it relates to empathy, I think this book was fascinating because it helped me want to be more empathetic to the introverts in my life. I I would consider myself a a 50-50 introvert-extrovert. Rami, would would you consider yourself to be an introvert? I think I'm an aspirational extrovert. You're an... Oh, I like that. An aspirational extrovert. So maybe like... 45, 55. Yeah. And anytime I've taken, I think Myers-Briggs test, they'll test you on it. I'm always 50-50 split between the two. Um, But anyways, it made me want to be a lot more empathetic to the introverts in my life, like the very deep, clear introverts. But more so for me, it was about accessing a more empathetic view on things like boredom, (laughs) loneliness, or like really questioning the purpose of our lives. There was a lot of very uh, deep but accessible like conversation about those three topics, which are the three topics that I want to dig into a little bit more. I'm very excited. I want to segue us really quickly or detour us. When you talked about being nicer to the, or being more aware and open to the introverts in your life, mm-hmm. I remember reading this and I think it's fascinating and You'll think it's fascinating, hopefully. They said that the best way to treat a an introvert or someone who's depressed is the way that they treat Eeyore in Winnie the Pooh. Oh, Which yeah. is to just always be willing to invite them to things. And even if they don't want to, to always do that and continue to do that. And that when they're ready, they'll join you. And it'll help them, like, break out of their, like, sad depression. Um because they're always trying to get Eeyore to do things, but not like forcing him to do things. They're always just like inviting him and then he's just being Eeyore. But I thought that was nice. That is really beautiful. Just like always being an includer to those folks. Yeah. 
All right, take us on a journey, Shannon. Yeah, so the first question that I want to ask, Rami, is have you ever dreamed about, like, dropping out of the world before, like this guy did? Like, out-out? Yeah, like, real talk for a minute. Have you ever fantasized about that? No, I don't like... See, here's the problem. I would if it was, like, glamping, right? Like, if I could tuck away into the, like, woods, and I had, like, a cabin with a humongous TV... Yeah. And like a bunch of movies and like things to keep me occupied. Being outside in like the woods with nothing and like having to survive uh-huh. ain't my bag. It would someone else's bag. I wouldn't pick it up. I wouldn't go outside. Not not my thing. Have you thought about it? Uh, yes, but in the similar context as you. Like I wouldn't do what this guy did, which, which was like literally like be a survivalist for 27 years. But for sure, I fantasized about like, what if I just quit it all and like moved away to be a hermit in the woods somewhere. And I think this is a more common fantasy than a lot of people ever talk about. So I don't know. I was curious about that. So let me detour us again. One of my good friends grew up partially off grid. Oh, fascinating. Which I think kind of pertains to this guy. And so his dad was like literally off grid. They had a generator, but like weren't connected to any public works. Wow. Um, and so he had like turn on the generator, like fill it up with gas if you like wanted to watch TV. Yeah. Because they didn't have running electricity because they were off the grid. And they're still like, I think his dad is still like pretty much off the grid. Even so much in that like at their wedding. They had, like, booked him a hotel room. Yeah. But he still, like, wanted to go sleep on the beach. Oh, my gosh. That's cool. That's fascinating. I'm really intrigued with people like that by evidence of me reading this book in the first place. Okay. So the first topic, so to speak, that I want to talk about from this book is boredom. Okay. So when the author asked Chris if he was ever bored, he said he didn't even know if he understood the concept of boredom. He said boredom was for folks who felt they had to be doing something all the time, which Chris felt was most people. And Chris believes that there really isn't nearly enough nothing in the world. Okay, hold on. That's a lot. That is a lot. So he didn't feel like he was, he didn't understand the concept. He, he understood, (laughs) he understood the idea of boredom, but like couldn't fathom it. Because he was never occupied by the idea that he had to do things. Correct. So he could never be bored because he was never forced, forced to do things. Yes. Yes. Like, And so I think the assumption would be, oh, my God, over 27 years of living in the, in the woods, like you would have had to have gotten bored at some point. But he when they had that conversation, he was like, I, I like I, I he can't even fathom that because, as you said, that being busy was just not a value that he possessed. So you, in the absence, like what is the absence of busyness being bored? He was never bored because he never felt or believed in the value of busyness. That's so interesting. Uh huh. So, and then the, the author talked about Socrates and that Socrates, the philosopher, concluded that his most valuable possession was his leisure. So Socrates is quoted saying, beware of the barrenness of a busy life. And it got me thinking, 
Um, and I'm curious for us to talk about this a little bit. Do you ever let yourself get bored? I think I can, with stipulations, answer that question. I think prior to having a small child, (laughs) I think the answer was probably maybe. I think with a small child, you don't get to answer that question. They don't let you get bored. Yeah. They keep things very busy, Shannon. That's true. Okay, so maybe I have a lot of compassion for that. So, So maybe let's fast forward before Prince was born. Did you ever let yourself get bored then? I don't think so. I'm a incessant tinkerer. So I think if I would get bored, it was like, okay, I'm going to go like break this thing and then put it back together or like do a very difficult task of something that I don't really need to do uh-huh. just because I have the time and it may all blow up in my face, but that's what I'm going to go spend my time doing. Yeah. Yeah. I remember one of my good friends, uh, or one of her tips for creativity, she's a writer, is to let yourself get bored. And that was a concept that was like, what? Like, how do you do that? So for me, I think I'm I'm trying to get better about being bored. But it's like, I almost have to suck all of the air out of the room. <laughs> like, I have to deprive myself of TV. I have to deprive myself of social media. I have to deprive myself of other things to actually let myself get bored enough so I can get a spark of creativity. That I think would be the tricky part is like, okay, I'm turning off this. I'm turning off that. Like I've got none of those things. I don't need to dust. Now I can be bored. Yeah. But I think it's like, how do you blinder yourself to everything that would distract you? Yes. Uh, and it's a practice for me. And then perhaps like the, the inverse of that question, if we think about the conversation that the author had with Chris in the book, is how do you keep a pulse on your level of busyness so that you don't get to that place where, I don't know, like where you're hyperproductive or overproductive? Well, I think it comes back to that Socrates quote of the barrenness of a busy life. So I think it's like, if your life is super busy, but you don't find it fulfilling, then, then you're, you're, then you're, you're doing it wrong. But if you are busy, but it's fulfilling, then I think it's fine. Yeah. I find myself like, sometimes I get caught up like yesterday, Robbie and I were talking about this before we jumped on the podcast. We took my parents to a musical And I found myself like in preparation for this day with them feeling like anxious because I was like, oh, man, my parents don't drive anymore. So I was like going to have to go and pick them up and like take them in and drop them back off. And it was going to be like an eight hour day. And I found myself getting so like wrapped up in all the things I could be doing with those eight hours. Like I got to do food prep this weekend. I have to do laundry this weekend that I could feel like I wasn't going to be present for the thing you know, that I was actually going to do in that moment. So letting myself recognize that and then come down from that to say like, no, you just get to enjoy this one thing that you're doing right now and not get so caught up in the busyness of, of the other things that you could be doing at the same time. So anyways, the idea of boredom and busyness, I think it's an important thing for us to keep pulse on. So the next thing that I want to talk about from the book was noise. (laughs) This might be like a weird topic, but it's really about noise and the absence of it. 
the author references some studies that I thought were just fascinating, but the author talks about like how the absence of noise is actually needed to increase our capacity for concentration and contemplation. And so Knight's Christopher Knight, the the hermit, his camp may have actually been an ideal setting to encourage like the maximum brain function. Because it was in the middle of the woods. It was in the middle of the woods. It was like very quiet, peaceful, serene. Um, And that was one thing that Chris talked about when he went re-entered civilization was how much noise there was and how taxing that was to his system. And, I think there's another study that he references where he says like the noise and distraction are, are toxic, elevating our cortisol levels, our stress hormones all the time. So we really need to have maybe not 24 hours of it in a day as Chris did, but we really need to have periods where we have the absence of noise. Do you have periods in your life where like there is no noise, like where you don't have music in your ears or a TV in the background or a child in the background? Uh, The quietest times in my current part of my life are when I take the kid to like the Arboretum or like the Botanica Gardens. Mm -hmm. We did this the other day. And um, it's like time for him to take a nap. So I'll just put him down in his stroller and then turn on his sound machine, which is just like a low hum. Yep. Uh, and just like walk incessantly. Like I think when I did it the other day, I don't know, I walked like 4,000 steps an hour. Like it was like incessant walking. Uh, Just in the quietness of those like beautiful places with all the plants and the trees. Yeah. Uh, And I think that's when I get those moments of quiet. Yeah. But it's like with the kid, but it happens to be in the woods, which I think is inherently a quieter place. Yes. Yeah. And so like you don't listen to a podcast or you don't listen to music while you're doing those walks. No, it's really funny, too, because I brought my AirPods to like specifically because I was like, oh, he's going to take a nap. Like, I'll listen to something like this will be good use of my time. And then I got there. I was like, no, like a good use of my time is just like listening to the quiet of like and like existing here. Um, And there's no reason to like double down on needing to do something on top of like just appreciating some solitude. Totally. And quite vulnerably, that's something that I really suck at. And it's only recently that I've tried to challenge myself with like, go for a walk today, but on your walk today, don't listen to anything. Don't listen to that audiobook. Don't like just listen to like the sounds of the airplane flying overhead because we live by the airport or, you know, the geese or whatever it might be. I think it's because I grew up in such a busy home. I was the youngest of so many kids that like there was always activity around me. So for me, it can feel lonely sometimes. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. Okay. So next thing, next theme from this book that I wanted to talk about was loneliness or really in the positive sense, solitude. And Rami, I'm curious, what is the longest you've ever gone not seeing anyone or communicating like in any way, including phone, email, or text. Like you can have went, TV or radio or whatever, but like not talking to other people. I went um, a few years ago. We, my wife and I went to Japan and there was an island that we had heard about called Naoshima. Um, and this was when I was 
not working. Uh-huh. And we heard about this island. And so my wife booked me two extra days to go there. You take like two trains from Tokyo, a bus, two buses, and then a boat to get to this island. Uh, and it was one of the quietest places I've ever been. Mm. You get a bike so you can like bike around and you get a mechanical bike so that you don't actually have to bike because it's like lots of hills. Uh, but the island is full of art, like priceless pieces of art. Like there's Monet's, a room of Monet's, wow. like water lilies, like actual art. But in that like 48 hours I was there, I don't speak any Japanese. Um, the most I got interaction with anyone was them directing me where I should be going or like getting into a museum and having them tell me like, take off your shoes. Mm -hmm. I like went and did like one of those communal baths with a bunch of old Japanese dudes, which is fun except for being naked with other people. (laughs) But like we couldn't talk to each other. I don't know Japanese. They don't know English. Uh, And I didn't talk to my wife the entire time I was there. So like 48 hours in Naoshima, taking in the beauties of a quiet place and really beautiful art. Oh, that sounds incredible. I never knew you did that. It was amazing. Wow. I love Naoshima. All right, Shannon, you tell me how long you've done it. I would guess maybe 24 hours. I've done solo retreats before, but like I'm still... Connected? Yeah, or not like, not connected via phone, email, or text, but like, I'm still interacting with people, like, to order food for for lunch or something. So maybe the most I've ever gotten is 24 hours in the sense of like, I had breakfast for myself, lunch for myself, and dinner for myself already in the Airbnb where I was staying, and I just didn't go anywhere for 24 hours. But I don't know that I've gone longer than that without seeing or interacting with anyone. And I would yeah, say, I've never done that. Yeah. I think that would be impossible. Well, and I see, I would say even like the example that you gave of being on that island, you still had like even limited interaction with people. Chris Knight, he said in his 27 years in the woods, he remembers two. I think it was two occurrences. Of, find, of, like, talking with another human being, ever. And that just kind of, like, blows my mind a little bit. Um, yeah. Like, can you imagine that? Two people in 27 years. No. I feel like you would go crazy. But he didn't. And, and in the book, they talk about, like, how there's, again, like, studies or something that shows that there is a spectrum of introvertedness. And for some people, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're crazy. It's just like that is literally their preferred state. And there's a couple quotes in the book on this idea of solitude that, that Knight offers. I mean, he just says about his experience. But he said, when I applied my increased perception to myself, I lost my identity. There was no audience anymore. There was no one to perform for. There was no need to define myself. I became irrelevant. And so his desires dropped away. He didn't really long for anything. He didn't have a name. And he says, to put it romantically, I was completely free. That's interesting. Uh Uh-huh. So what was his drive in existing then? I think just to be. Like, he was almost like, in, in some ways, this book was like a spiritual book to me because it was almost like he was living the life of uh, a true hermit or a monk and 
the previous centuries in a way that I find quite romantic or beautiful. Okay, but Shannon, hermits and monks, for the most part, were like driven by their religion, right? Like monks, yeah. especially, like they'll talk to no one for 50 years, but like they pray incessantly. Yeah. So what was the like? His drive was for survival and and much of his, well, uh, okay, let's just catch on to this conversation though of like the need for busyness. Like, but what was the thing that he did? Like, how did he spend his time? Like, was he praying then? He wasn't that busy. He just he was just like hanging out in the woods, like fixing looking at stuff. the leaves. Yeah, like and he'll say like just looking at the leaves falling from the trees, or just like watching the animals around him. Or if when he was busy, it would be like busy for survival reasons, like busy trying to figure out where his next meal was going to come from, or busy trying to figure out how to better weatherproof his campsite. That's what I mean. His busyness wasn't busyness, but he was perpetually trying to survive. So he yeah. he may have been like busy in that it was like, oh, I need to fix my roof. I need to like sharpen my blades or whatever, yeah. find some food. Yeah. So the last um, quote I'll offer from this book that was really thought provoking for me is this. Modern life seems to set us up so that we can avoid loneliness at all costs. But maybe it's worthwhile to face it occasionally. The further we push loneliness away the less we are able to cope with it and the more terrifying it gets. I agree with that 100%. Now, I want to ask you a question. Uh This guy went into the woods in 1896 or something? 1986. 1986? 1986. Oh, like 20 years ago. No, more than that. Yeah, like, yeah, almost 40 now, yeah. Um, So the world that he left is much different than the world that he came back into. Absolutely. So the fact that he said this in the 80s, and the 80s was like car phones, and now we're in like a completely different existence of uh, connection is like really fascinating. Yes, and that was part of the like hard adjustment for him, because 1986 plus 27 years, what is that? 2015? I can't math right now. Math. Yeah, 2015-ish, in the the 2010s. So, yeah, like, he didn't, like, the internet had happened in that time. So many things. Um, But I just, it it inspired me to want to get a little bit more okay with being lonely sometimes, you know? Like, if I can't stomach more than 24 hours without interacting with people, maybe maybe it's okay so that I'm able to cope with it sometimes. Okay, so then the, the fourth and final theme from this book that was really striking to me was the pursuit of purpose. And I feel like we've done a couple other podcast episodes. I'm not going to like reference any of them now because I couldn't tell you which ones they are about like how to find your purpose or meaning or whatever. And a couple of quotes here that were fascinating for me from the book was he says, the more you realize, the more you realize there is nothing to realize. The idea that there's somewhere we have to get to and something we have to attain is our basic delusion. Hold on. I'm going to disagree with you here. Okay, go for it. Because he was trying to survive. Yeah. And he was trying to attain sustenance by like pillaging and stealing from people. Yeah. So even he inherently is disagreeing with his own quote here. But like thinking your life has to have more meaning than just surviving, you know? 
and and he, I think that's the author's quote there. But then Knight says he did it because the alternative was I was I wasn't content. I he found a place where he was content by being in the woods. He felt like totally not content when he was trying to like have a pursuit of purpose other than just surviving. I think that's fair. So, but I think he still had a purpose. It was to survive. Yeah. He had a purpose, but like imagine if your only purpose was to survive, I'm guessing you have more goals or purpose in life than just surviving right now. Robbie. I think it's because we don't have the fear of like, we're very lucky in that we don't have that as like a basic purpose in our lives yeah. because we have attained that level of existence. Yeah. And so we're, we're able to pursue go beyond other, other purposes in life. Yeah. Which is nice. Okay. So, I like that. So now I'm curious if you agree or disagree with this quote, life isn't about searching endlessly to find what's missing. It's about learning to live with the missing parts. Agree or disagree. I need a second to comprehend. Life isn't about searching endlessly to find what's missing. It's about learning to live with the missing parts. I don't know that I agree or disagree because I'm partially confused. So if I was in the pursuit of, let's just do a watch. Yeah. So life isn't about searching endlessly to find what's missing. So let's say I really liked watches and I wanted a Rolex. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. It's about learning to live with the missing parts. So then I look down and I have no Rolex. Yes. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. But I don't know what time it is. Yes. Can you live with that? Uh, Yeah, sure. Or like, which pursuit do you think is most important? Do you think it's most important to keep having a Rolex to look for? Or would it be more uh, meaningful or more growth filled for you to learn to just live with the fact that you don't have a Rolex? Look, I think it's way more fulfilling in the latter, right? To live with and an, an appreciate the missing parts. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that either one of them is accurate for everyone, right? Like some people are like, I want that Rolex and I'm going to do what I need to to get that thing. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's having without. I don't know. I think I think life is a nice balance of both. I think when you are happy to pursue something, there's like a nice drive and a motivation in that period of your life. Yes. And then I think there's other times where you're like, I'd really like us to be able to afford a cabin, but we can't, right? And yeah. so maybe we get to rent a cabin once a year and like that's that's what fills that void and that absence in learning to live with that missing part. Yeah. Yeah, I think I don't disagree or agree. I think I have agreeances and disagreeances with both parts well and it's maybe it is a both and and in this moment i'm just thinking about like the, what is it the serenity prayer like god grant me the serenity to accept the things i cannot change and change the things i cannot accept and maybe it's about and, and the wisdom to know the difference and so how do you have wisdom in noticing like i think i've noticed at different points in my life where the pursuit of something was actually causing me suffering you know like mm -hmm. being in pursuit of something was actually causing me more suffering than if I were just to be like, okay, I'm okay as I am. I don't need to like go for more or do more. Maybe it's okay to, for me to just like learn to live with life as it is versus constantly feeling like I need to be in pursuit of something more. And that's what I thought was thought provoking about this. I think it goes back to maybe a conversation. I don't remember if we talked about this before in the podcast, but, but, um, 
quite vulnerably, like in the process of my dad's dementia, like sensing in my body when I'm really gripping or clinging to something, being a certain way, like that's causing suffering. So how can you learn to like release and let go and learn to live with the missing parts? He says in this book, what were you going to say? No, I think, I think it's exactly that. I think we can just ground ourselves in that quote by Socrates, right? Beware of the barrenness of a busy life. I think if your life is busy, but it feels empty, then, then that's the problem. I think if your life is busy, but it feels full, then that's great, right? Like live that full busy life. But if your life is busy and it feels empty, then something has to change. Yeah. Okay. We have to talk about it. Is it Socrates or Socrates? It's 1000% Socrates. And in Bill and Ted's <laughs> Excellent Adventure, they call him Socrates. You said it twice it so now. Much. And I was like, okay, I love it so is much. this going to be like Lin-Manuel Miranda where I was saying it wrong? And like, this was your subtle way of trying to correct me. And I was like, I'm pretty sure it's Socrates. No, I've never no, heard I'm, it said it's Socrates. <laughs> I'm a Bill and Ted enthusiast. It's just and a, you being Rami and keeping me on my toes. Okay. So. I mean, you were saying, hold on. We need to go back though. You were saying lin Manuel. Manuel. That's what I was saying. And I'm embarrassed now. And my husband never corrected me. And then Rami corrected me one day. And I was like, oh, I corrected you the first time. It wasn't like I let you keep saying No, no, no. Yeah, you didn't. You corrected me right away. To your credit. (laughs) And I mentioned it to my husband. My husband is a huge Lin-Manuel fan. And I mentioned it to my husband. And I was like, why did you never correct me? And he's like, well, I guess like, I don't know. I just didn't think it was that big of a deal. I'm like, Okay. Okay. So yeah, Socrates, or if you're Rami Socrates, if you feel like being funny, uh, let's let's take this home tactically. What what are some things maybe to consider taking away from this book? First, I think is the boredom, loneliness, pursuit of purpose kind of concepts. Maybe let yourself get bored sometimes. You know, set aside some time for solitude as a way to grow your capacity to hold yourself and and hold the missing parts that you may be feeling, or perhaps like releasing them a little bit. And it doesn't have to so, be like meditation. I think that's what a lot of people think about. But like, look at what Rami shared. You know, like he's just pushing his kid around in a stroller at the arboretum, and he's not having things in his ears you know he's just being present in the moment he's not meditating like he's not like sitting on a pillow cross-legged somewhere but he's just leaving some space where things where stimuli isn't having to fill the void and i think to add to that it's find uh, a sterile environment that isn't your own mm-hmm. it'll make it much easier right like i think about sitting down here at my desk or like in any room in this house yes. and trying to have boredom and it would not happen. Like, even if I turned everything off, I would start dusting. I would start opening books. Like, I think you just have to get into a sterile, non comfortable situation and it can be comfortable. Sorry. I don't mean uncomfortable, like stand at the edge of a cliff. Um, like not in your normal location, not in the place where you're used have, to being productive. Yeah. Yeah. So that you can't, so you can let yourself not get distracted by the distractions. Yeah, by all the things, by the dishes that you could do or the books that you could read or the laundry piling up, like getting out of your environment. Um, and then the second thing is really basic, but like noise, you know? So how can you reduce noise and seek out soothing environments? So maybe taking a 15-minute walk in the woods. Or if you don't have Woods Bear House, just taking a 15-minute walk without anything. And it will make such a big difference in your cortisol levels, even just 15 minutes. I love it. We don't have woods. We have the ocean. So my little bud and I go to the ocean and and take that in. But we take our silence where we can get it. 
I love it. I'm jealous of the ocean right now. So we would love to hear from you. Tell us what you think about uh, this book that Shannon read, The Last Stranger in the Woods. Uh, have you ever dropped out of dream? dreamed about dropping out of the world before let us know uh we'd love to hear about it let us know what your thoughts are on noise solitude the pursuit of purpose and if you have any tips for us on uh kind of how to get bored we'd love it we won't be we won't be bored by your suggestions (laughs) so reach out connect with us on instagram at workplace hugs i have been rami and i have been shannon and this has been workplace hugs (laughs) 